0: Hi folks, Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting and consulting firm, RiderFlex. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. And if you enjoy listening to our show, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button on the episodes. Finally, aside from our podcast, our day job here at RiderFlex is to provide recruiting, staffing, and consulting services. You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get the information on the services we provide. And now, a quick word from our sponsor and friends at Marketing 360.
1: Try the number one marketing platform for small business, everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand.
0: If you're a business owner and you're listening to this episode, just as soon as you can afford to to surround yourself with a good attorney and a good tax account, please do make, make it a priority because it will make a difference in your life. Uh, we just, we just got a new tax accountant this year. We switched and wow. I just, what, what a difference to have somebody that's a strategic partner that's making suggestions and calling us early and meeting us in October. And this is where we're headed and you should do this and you should do that. I mean, I needed that years ago.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. We, we, uh, we, we all don't know we need it until we, uh, we get good counsel from all those different things. And uh, that's the point. But, uh, um, but yeah, but you know, other, otherwise, aside from that, uh, life is good and I hope the same for you. What's happening?
0: Yeah, it's good, man. Business is good for Rider Flex, our recruiting firm growing like crazy. Uh, you know, and big part to friends and advisors and referral partners like yourself that uh, introduce us to people. And so, yeah, we're, we're busy. We're growing. We feel blessed. I, you know, feel thankful. You know, my wife was uh, the other day, she's like, you know, she goes, you've ha- you're having the best year ever you are busier than you've ever been. You got more recruiters than you've ever had. You got more clients than you've ever had and you're still stressed out. <laughs> I said, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah, I guess I am just as stressed as I was when cash flow was tight. And I guess the, the better it gets, then you start getting stressed that you don't want the better to go away. So you just, you just, you're just still running as fast as you can go. I don't know if that's what ha- happens to you in your
1: business. It's not far off. I mean, you know, there's that, uh, but you know, there's a certain point I think where you, yeah, you you're, you're achieve a certain level and, you know, because of the people around you and because, You've worked so hard to get to a certain point you, you know, at least for me I, I worry less about you know maintaining it uh, because I've just seen that just building with good people hardworking people smart people that it just maintains and then you know builds just by uh, by nature and you could step on the gas or that but for me the stress comes from dealing with so many people and, and if you own your own business as you do um, and I did and I'm you know I'm happy to say that I don't own my law firm anymore, um, but, uh, but that's another story uh, to roll into. When you're dealing with so many people that depend on you for direction and placement and response, and that, that's where I think the stress comes in for me. It's dealing, being responsive, because you pride yourself as a professional of always right. providing uh, the right response or the best of your abilities and to keep in communication, uh, and that gets overwhelming. Because, you know, when you're sitting there on a phone call and you get seven texts and 26 emails and three WhatsApp messages and all at the same time, you know, it, it starts to put the pressure on, even though you're in enough goodwill with just about all these people to say, listen, step off for a little bit and, and, and we'll take care of you.
0: <laughs> Isn't it, it's a killer, right? Yeah, I feel the same way. Like if somebody told me, if I heard somebody say, yeah. You know, I called you last week, and you know, you never heard back. From, like that is just for me, that's a punch in the gut for somebody to say that. Right. So I'm like you. I always am trying to make sure I'm responding to everything. You're right. It gets more and more difficult. I, I want to before we get into business uh, in cannabis, though, let's I want people to know more about you, like like the young Bob Hoban, the, the, where you grew up, siblings, mom, dad. You know whether or not you got arrested when you were in high school. I don't know. Just I give us some early life stuff if you don't mind. Start, start, start with you know where you were raised, where you went to school. If you don't, if you don't mind, for the listeners.
1: Yeah, or or, or as or as my friends call me, uh, that that was those were the days of beardless Bobby, um, <laughs> uh, because as we age, uh, I think we wear the beard a little bit well, and and our face gets bigger. Yes. So why not cover it in, in a beard? But, uh, exactly. No, I, I grew up in New Jersey and uh, southern New Jersey. And okay. um, outside of Philadelphia, and uh, you know, look, life was good. I grew up middle class kid. Um, you know, played a lot of sports, uh, loved music, um, and uh, ended up. Uh, my my mom and dad got divorced when I was in seventh grade. So my my oh, my mother okay. had uh, a number of sisters, and I was raised by this great group of women, and my grandmother and my grandfather, uh, and you know, I was sort of. Uh, That that's what really gave me confidence, and and it still just didn't come till later in life. But drive and ambition, Uh, you know, I always worked hard. But I think that that the drive and the vision and the ambition to do things uh, with your career, not just work in the career, um, didn't come till I was probably in my thirties, which uh, you know some might say was a little bit late. But you know, I'm a huge basketball guy. Um, I. Uh, we won uh, the state championship in 1993 in New Jersey. Wow. That was something we're very proud of. Wow! How old uh, were you? How old were you? I was a, a junior in high school, uh, so that was uh, you know like however old you are when you were junior in high school. Were you, uh, were, you start, were you in the starting lineup as a junior? Uh, no, as uh, I, I was, uh, I, I played a a utility role, uh, and then sort of came into my own a little bit as a senior, and uh, actually have a wall of fame plaque here behind me for camden catholic high school All, um, but, uh, all right, that's cool <laughs> but, but, but i was too slow they, they also had a nickname for me slow-mo rabbo because uh <laughs> it looked like a or molasses because it looked like i was running through molasses uh but i ended up um because of my love of the game i ended up uh, officiating I, i've officiated minor league basketball for years college cool. basketball men's women's d1 d2 d3 junior colleges um I don't have the time to do it these days, um, but I do hope to to get back to that at some point. But, what's uh, the biggest What's the biggest game you ever refed? Uh,
0: like a like a huge D one? Was there something you remember specifically? Like did you ever do Duke,
1: North Carolina, or something like that? Well, I, I did. I, I've done. I actually uh, I've refereed Duke uh, several times, uh, mostly wow. preseason or early tournament games, okay. um, early season tournament games, like Christmas tournament games, where there's not a whole lot of pressure on the guys. Um, and uh, you know, got to to meet there. Izzo, Tom Izzo, is is, is a highlight of mine. Um, you nice. know, very supportive, but also mean and nasty on the sidelines, as you'd expect. <laughs> a, you know, a, certainly a successful coach to be. Um, but uh, you know, believe it or not, the biggest game with 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 stake on the line was uh, was a minor league basketball game between the Billings Rim Rockers and the Minot Snow Bears in Billings. <laughs> If Billings won, they made the playoffs. If Minot won, then they made the playoffs. Mm. Uh, And you know, these guys were all, uh, they were great athletes. Not all of them were great basketball players Uh, and they all had ambitions to make the next level. And you know, a lot of these folks either played college basketball, but this was their shot at it. And uh, there was a guy on the Minot snow bears at the time who was uh, named Troy Jackson and Troy, he recently passed. I read, uh, he was the brother of, uh, NBA coach and player, Mark Jackson long-time oh, player. And, okay. uh, but, but Troy was 6'10", 330 pounds. And <sighs> he was just, he was, and he was slow and he was big. And, you know, this was his, this was as far as he was going to go. Okay. And, uh, but he was going to get that team into the playoffs and he puts his head down and he starts backing into these guys and I'm the referee on the baseline. And ultimately I see him, Coming in and uh, he knocks this guy over, puts the bucket in. I didn't have a quick enough whistle. So what I do is I, I look the next time down the court, there's, you know, a minute 30 left in the game. I know he's going to do it again if he gets the ball. And I did the thing that you don't, you're you not supposed to do as an official is you kind of wait for the thing to happen again instead of just being there and, and, mm. and, and, and living and breathing it. And so I, I blow the whistle, but I blow it against him as he puts the bucket in. The t- home team goes nuts because it's an offensive foul. The basket doesn't count for the other team. He gets in my face. And you know, six ten, three, three hundred pounds. Um, you know, referees separated them and you know, this and that. He was yelling. And and I was, you know, I was a, a younger guy at the time too. So it the it was easy to pick on me. Um anyway. <laughs> so you were six two, How how tall are you? Six two, six three? 6263 probably 6162 now <laughs> you know how it goes <laughs> but, uh, uh, but, no, but so but just just a, a funny end to that story is so you know they get the home team won and the, the crowd was pleased but they put us up in this hotel the same Uh-oh. hotel that my was staying at so Uh-oh. i go out for a dinner and a couple of drinks with the other officials oh, i come boy. back and i oh. see him in the uh, i had a ball cap on I had no idea who I was. (laughs) Oh, really? There was no risk because I'm sure he would Uh, still have that fire in his eyes. (laughs) Uh, Did you have uh, siblings? Uh, Were you the only child or do you have brothers, sisters? I've got a younger brother. He lives in Fort Collins, Colorado today. um, uh, uh, Five years younger than me. Five years younger. Okay. And then what about you? So you had a great relationship with your mom.
0: Did you not have a good relationship with your dad? I'm just curious there.
1: No, i i did i mean my dad was involved with uh with sports and all the things that you did as a as a young man but uh you know when when the divorce occurred about seventh grade it uh you know it 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 it, i didn't see a whole lot i always saw him on weekends every once in a while this and that but it did separate you from having that person in the house which is why Mm. one of the reasons for me that i I i take that that charge as a, as a dad, really, really seriously. Yeah. Uh, and I do everything I can, despite my busy workload to, to be around as much as I can, you know.
0: Are both parents still alive?
1: Uh, no, my, well, my father's alive. He lives in, outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My mother uh, passed away from pancreatic cancer. Uh, and then in, incidentally, or perhaps more uh, uh, directly, my mother and trying to help her uh, when she was told she had six months to live with medicinal cannabis, Uh, many years ago was sort of how I was directly how I got into this industry because I was a commercial litigator and a real estate transactional attorney. And, um, and then, you know, I I began to try to figure out after seeing just these opiates and the effect they had on my mom who was using them the way they told her, but it was no quality of life, especially if you only had six months to live. Mm -hmm. So then we uh, helped uh, with some, uh, with some cannabis, uh, you know, before there were dispensaries and then I ended up representing those people and they were the first there were six of the first eight or nine dispensaries in the city of Denver based on the strategies that we put together uh, wow. and, and 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 the best news of all although she's uh, she died in, in, in um, the same year that the Phillies won the World Series which I think was her doing um, because that was 2008 she, she passed away in July of 2008 but the um, uh, the 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 she lived for three and a half years with that. With really, really? Really? Really?
0: Um, and, and, and a lot of that without opiates. How about that? So let me make sure, I understand. so you're practicing law. You're living in Denver at the time. You're in Denver at the time.
1: Oh, I, yeah. We, I, I live in Evergreen. I've lived in Evergreen except for 11 months uh, for 20 years.
0: But I mean, when your, mom, when your mom was sick, you were living in Colorado. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And so she was sick, and you go. Were you a cannabis user? Like, were you a consumer? So you knew these guys that, or you knew people around it, and they had told you, "Hey, this this will help her." So you were around people
1: that told you, "Like, look, your mom should try this." Is that what happened? Well, yeah. I mean, look, between my brother and I, we can always go out and get some cannabis. My mother (laughs) wouldn't smoke anything, quite literally, to save her life. Right. And then you know, making a brownie or a cookie, doing it ourselves, which you know, I don't know. I, I like to think many people had that kind of experience. My brother and I certainly did back yeah. in, in, in college and whatnot, um, sure. making the brownies. And, and that's not an experience I wanted to give to her because it was, you know, it was one of those things where maybe a, you know, a 22-year-old kid likes it, but uh, an adult with a, you know, with a, with a deadly condition is not uh, bound to like being, you know, knocked on, on your, on your socks, so to speak. So, um, so, you know, we kind of started talking to people, like, Okay. This was before there were dispensaries and before there were products. So, you know, some people made crackers or they made cupcakes or they made a brownie, but, you know, but they made it under the guise of the medical marijuana program. So it was so it wasn't, you know, 200 milligrams, 150 milligrams of THC, which is intended to sort of knock you off your block. They were more 20 or 30 or 50 milligrams. And okay. then that began to build up to, towards that. In fact, there were, there was a product called Chibichu's, which are Tootsie Rolls. Which were infused yep. by THC. These were sort of precursors to the Chibichu's. So you'd get a Chibichu and one little Tootsie Roll was, they were between 70 and hundred milligrams. So you took little credit cards, like slices of it. and said, <laughs> all right, does this make you feel better? Does this make you feel better? Just I to try that. to dial it in. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for the listeners, by the way, in case you're listening to this episode and you have no idea how many grams is powerful or not powerful, because I know we're, you know, you know it, I I know it, but some listeners might be like, okay, well, 20 milligrams, what does that do? Well, you know, most casual users, like a recreational casual user that would use once a week or so would probably take 10 to 15 milligrams, right? I mean, something like that, Uh, you know, so
1: I'd say, you know, you're, you're. Your novice user shouldn't go beyond five to start. Uh, your okay. average user is, you know, 10 milligrams will have an effect. And then I think, you know, someone who consumes cannabis on a, you know, several days per week, maybe 20, 25 okay. is probably where they are.
0: Yeah. Okay. okay. So, so again,
1: if you use it regularly, particularly if it's for medicinal purposes, you know, the people that they can take 80, 100 milligrams mm-hmm. because they're used to it, but not your average person
0: mm-hmm so when you're so this is happening and I'm, I'm very sorry that your mom went through that i know it's terrible uh, pancreatic cancer it's horrible but she goes through this you help her through it you get more involved you learn more i'm guessing you're just learning more about cannabis this whole time and uh, what happens is there is there some jumping off point or some pivot point where you're like i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna practice law around cannabis like i'm gonna switch gears what oh yeah or did no, it, that, just, that was
1: that was it when when i started to So these were caregivers. You literally went online and you Googled cannabis caregivers, Colorado, and, you know, there would be websites. And these were, you know, under the guise of philanthropic sites, people trying to help people connect that had, you know, I'm a caregiver. I have some family member to take care of or friend, and I don't know anything about cannabis. I go to these people. So sometimes you'd call them and they'd say, you know, I got the best stuff in town. I'll meet you at 7-Eleven. And, you know, you'd say, all right, well, duly noted, but at the end of the day, that's not what we're looking for. Um, and then, you know, you'd met, there was a couple, you know, literally older couples that said, you know, look, my, my husband makes the oil and I make it into these cakes and, you know, this and that. So so that's kind of how um, mm. that process uh, uh, rolled out. And, you know, you, you, I began to see an opportunity because what I was doing at the time, a lot of was... Uh, it was a prior opportunity to, to, to sort of build up a practice in the law. Eminent domain was a big topic, meaning when the government takes property, and that got slippery. The, the, the reasons there's eminent domain is because the government's supposed to be able to take property for a road, a school, a police station, a public use. But mm-hmm. the public use definition got twisted a little bit to mean um, economic development. And it quite literally meant that I could condemn a, a Motel 6 if I wanted to put a... Uh, ritz carlton on it because it would generate more tax revenue for the public that wow. Was, so, so I did a lot of that and I, and I rode that wave for quite a while. Um, and you know I, I saw because I saw that as the opportunity. it was a, it was an interesting topic. it was a good something I was interested in. It involved you know roll up your sleeves, legal work and uh, mm-hmm. and and it felt and fell into litigation and real estate at the time. So I kind of saw this opportunity with marijuana um, generally speaking, and uh, you know I had a An intern at the time and a friend who worked uh, in the property rights realm, her name was Jessica Corey. She was the wife of Rob Corey, who is presently disbarred in Colorado, but was one of the OG lawyers in cannabis in Colorado. He was a criminal defense attorney. So as the criminal defense attorneys began to get a little bit overloaded with their, you know, they, they reached, they overlooked their skis. They were great criminal defense lawyers but they couldn't do employment contracts and and the like uh, okay. and that was where you know i i had an opportunity so i these things started to happen all around the same time and then i read an article about building a national law firm like all these things happened within months of each other so wow. i started to attend cannabis shows conferences to attract clients outside of colorado and i met other lawyers and i would ask these lawyers uh, would you like to work together and build the first cannabis law firm, let alone the first national cannabis law firm? And then you know the rest is history. So we did we did that. Um, wow! So all of those things came together, yeah. and you know here we are today, where the same lawyers that you know years ago were going, oh, there's the pot lawyers, are the <laughs> ones going. Hey, <laughs> how, how did we become followers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right.
0: Now they want to be friends. Now they want to hang out, right? Yeah. yeah. Hey, Bob, uh, I know we, you, yeah, it's just like in high school, right? Like they wouldn't, they didn't want you to come to their party back then, but now they want to come over to your house for the, for the party. Yeah, I totally get it. Um, how big did you, so Hope and Law Group, I mean, that was, you, you grew your business before you sold it to clark hill i mean you had how many employees how many lawyers i mean you grew into a pretty a pretty huge practice
1: yeah. well you know the hoban law group was around uh, started out as hoban and fiola with my partner dave fiola who okay. um you know he was a wonderful employment lawyer and, and helped out on the cannabis stuff but after a period of time he you know he went wanted to just focus on what he was doing and i just wanted to get deeper and deeper into cannabis hemp and, and everything about it um mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, that it's been around for 13 years, or it was around for 13 years. Mm-hmm. At its height, mm-hmm. we had about 56 lawyers, and wow. about 30 of those were direct employees, and maybe the other yeah. 25 to the 30 were independent contractors. And, and that was a product of, A, trying to grow quickly without having to take on the overhead, and it suited those lawyers' needs. For example, maybe you had a Uh, In in the instance of of a particular attorney, she recently had children and wanted to work from home and was an Mm -hmm. excellent, excellent Mm -hmm. transactional attorney, but only wanted to work 15 or 20 hours a week. Uh, Mm. Or you had a lawyer in a particular state who knew the political world but didn't know how to do the the corporate transactional stuff. So, Mm -hmm. you know, they drummed up the business in state X or Y, and we did the work on the back end. Or they Mm. were an alcohol attorney that some Mm. of those skills were transferable to this but we only needed to work with them five or 10 hours a week. So, so that was the arrangement. And it really was, it was magical in, in many ways because uh, it, was, it was some of the, the, the greatest people I ever met. And, and, you know, you don't always say that about lawyers. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and you ended up becoming the number one cannabis law firm in the country. You ended up becoming personally an international cannabis expert uh, as this entire thing grew because you, you you saw it early you saw the opportunity you jumped in head first you were aggressive about it you when i first met you i, I was just blown away i thought man this guy like who who in the united states knows more about legal cannabis stuff than, than bob nobody
1: <laughs> well, it was, so, but, but, but that was by design it, I, right. I, just, I mean i can't slow down i can't sit still ask anybody yeah, i believe drugs. it I believe I it's still I I hear uh, uh, there's a there's a great line and in, in, in a song called everything all the time or too much of everything is just enough and I kind of live by those principles as best that I can as I can um, you you get and, that you get that speed
0: you get that speed and energy from your mom or your dad
1: I have no idea because th- that's a that's a great question because I mean both great people smart people but neither my mother was a, a, a was it what they she was in the. She worked for the Red Cross. She she separated blood into its subcomponents, um, and then made sure hospitals got what they needed. And my my father to this day, you know, he works on logistics, runs warehouses, shipping and receiving in regions of the U. S. Um, and you know, there wasn't uh, there there wasn't anybody in my family anywhere that was ambitious to to go. In the, in the way that I've become so I yeah. honest to God don't know where it came from Steve but I can <laughs> tell you the only theory I have is because it comes from within you don't decide that you're going to be something right. or other some people do and, and it can happen but <laughs> it just comes from an in a, an innate sense of where to go and what to do and hey let's go for this and you just and it's that competitive element above it but you know I was in a terrible car accident at the end of my junior year of high school so my theory is and I don't almost died um mm-hmm. i believe that there's something to do with that that sort of it can't it took a little while to catch around but that made me realize mm-hmm. boy you really only do have one chance at this thing so you might as well go for it and you know sometimes i sure don't know what i'm going for but i'm going to go for it for sure <laughs> is your wife
0: uh does she ever look at you like on a sunday afternoon when you're supposed to be relaxing meanwhile you're like out in the yard you're out in the garage you're moving around you're doing stuff does she ever say hey Will you just like sit down? Will you just sit down time, for me? All the
1: time, all the time. There's no <laughs> sitting around on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon. I'm on a motorcycle or a dirt bike or a snowboard or, or something. You know, there, like that, that's the whole thing. Is, is uh, I, I've got to I've got to stay moving. Now I do hope sincerely that as I get older that that slows down, but you know, I don't know, maybe not. And, and maybe that's the wrong thing that to, to want, because as you get older, it, it seems like the ones that do stay active are the ones that, you know, keep living a, a darn that, good life. That,
0: that's opinion. right. That's right. How's your body holding up? I'm just curious when you go hiking mountain climbing snow, or, you know, snowmobiling, whatever you're doing, how's your knees, how's your back? Like, how, how are you feeling at this
1: age? Good. I, I you know, I am pretty, pretty active and and I, no, I ride that. Pel- I'm, a, I'm a Peloton guy. I ride the, okay. the exercise bike and I do some core work, you know, three, sometimes four days a week. Um, you know, if I'm at sea level, I like to go jogging. I don't like to jog in the mountains. It just it, it, uh, it, it's just mm-hmm. not it, it's very limiting. Um, but, uh, you know, I, but I but I also do a lot of things. So if I have an injury. Uh, or even a tweak or something, if it's a muscle thing, or if it's a joint thing, mm, um, mm. I have, I have, I have people, I have a guy who's a muscle activation therapist, so that if you if you're, you know, so that I can stay in good shape, I have a, a guy who, uh, who does, uh, you know, I've done that PRP that platelet ridge plasma therapy, where if I have a joint that hurts because, knee and basketball in particular, or from snowboarding okay. or skiing, they okay. take the blood out, They put it in centrifuge, they purify it, and they put it back into the joint because blood flow doesn't go to joints and it it heals it like super fast. Um, I also, I I actually sort of finished a a round with uh, who I lovingly call my witch doctor. It's called network chiropractic, um, which is a whole nother thing. It's a form of chiropractic, but it's not, it doesn't involve the cracking, et cetera. It sort of helps you um, deal with stress better and helps your central nervous system, your spinal cord, in other words, not Mm -hmm. get all wound up on every single thing that comes at you so that you can kind of be a little bit more laid back because the theory is, and it's proven to be true for me at least. And I'm, you know, 46 years old. um, The uh, those aches and pains you get in your back and your, your lower back and your hips and all Uh this other uh stuff, a lot of that stuff, unless it's truly structural, it's all avoidable. And it's a product of stress or it's a product of your body leaning forward too much to right, to left, uh, and, and so I, so I, I do a lot of those things. Hey, it makes me feel good and I try to be proactive about it, but, uh, but it, it's also, it, it, it's kept me, kept me moving. Um, I have I guys my that. age that, you know, that don't do anything anymore. Right. Still do that? <laughs> and I go, I, you know, I'm, I guess, yeah, I guess we do judge it a little bit, but at the same time, it's we like, do, we do. On, yeah. We, no, no, we, we do, we
0: do. I just went for a full I'm 54. And I just went for a full checkup. And I go back to my doctor, and he's like, he pulls out the report, and he's going over it, and he's telling me you know the cholesterol, this, this, this. He's going over all the stuff, and I said, okay, well, so, all right, yeah, well, what I don't, what do all those numbers mean? Am I am I good? Am I good, bad, average? Like, where, where am I? <laughs> am I winning? Am I losing? He goes, oh, he goes, listen, he goes, you you're much better shape than most of the fifty four year olds that come in here, and I said. That's all I need to hear. Just stop right there. That's all I need to hear. Now I'm going to just go home and celebrate.
1: <laughs> no, that, that, That's a great thing. And, you know, I got to look at when I went for a physical, I go every other year for a physical. And this year they said, uh, there was a different uh, nurse that, that took a, the initial information and she says, all right, so tell me what medications you're on. And I say, uh, well, I mean, occasionally I take ibuprofen. Um, <laughs> and she looked at me, she, she looks at my age on her chart and she, she goes, you don't take any prescription meds. No. And that's a shocker to your point. That folks. is a shocker. That's a
0: shocker to me. That's a shocker to me. Holy cow, you don't take any pre- <sighs> Holy cow. What do you, Ibuprofen and occasional cannabis and an occasional
1: cocktail. That's it. Well, and usually the ibuprofen is because of the occasional cocktails, but that's neither here
0: nor there. <laughs> that's so that's so awesome, man. Let me I will tell you, I was somewhat, you know, surprised when I saw that you joined Clark Hill I you know I saw it in the press or I can't remember how I felt I saw it on LinkedIn or something and I saw that I'm like what okay and because I you know we, we know each other I've just, we yeah. visited a few times and uh, yeah, you had a great practice there and you uh, also uh, had your thing going on with GPS gateway proven strategies and I'm like and then I saw this Clark Hill thing, and, and by the way, Clark Hill, awesome, you know, super respectable, giant firm, I mean, you know, great to be associated with them. No, nothing against Clark Hill, I was just,
1: I was just like, what? what, why did he do that, walk walk me through that a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah no, I, look, it, it's a question a lot of people ask, because in, in a lot of people's minds, and for my, for my personal, in my personal mind, too, you know, owning your own thing and having a successful business, Steve, you've got one, you're doing it, yep. you're living and breathing yep. it. It's, yes. it's 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 people's dream, and everybody looks at you and goes, "That's great!" Like I'm so, it's amazing. Kudos right. to you, congratulations. But you know, for me, um, I think that other opportunities kept popping up on the outside. Um, we grew very quickly as a as a as a family, um, as a law firm, uh, which okay. is unusual w- with lawyers in a law firm at the Hoban Law Group. And you know, like any family. Um, not that anything bad happens, but there's some people that rub, you know, each other the wrong way and, and yeah. things like that. Human so nature. There was, a, there was a little bit of that, but mm. frankly, I just got tired of having to keep building it because I can't sit still. I wasn't happy, never happy with where things are. I always think there's something we can do better, or I can grow something. And uh, I just kept seeing the industry get more sophisticated. I saw some of my competition, um, you know, succeeding. And I kept saying, well, if they, my competition pushes me, hopefully we push them as well. I push yeah. myself all the time. And it just seemed like this was the next chapter of what okay. we what we built. That's the way I looked at it. And in fact, I ran into a lawyer, a uh, great lawyer named Henry Wodkowski out of San Francisco, works in the cannabis space, but far beyond that. He's a great litigator. He's responsible for, the, for a number of the, the positive tax decisions in this space, the Champs case in particular. Um, But uh, Henry is one of the first guys I went to. He used to work for the Department of Justice years ago, but I went to him 10 years ago, thereabouts. And I said, Henry, partner up with us. Let's, let's build this thing. And here's my business plan. And at the end of the business plan was, you know, the potential, the exit scenarios. This is what we'll start to look at in six, seven, Mm -hmm. eight years, hopefully by year 10 (laughs) or 12 is what I said. And First thing he said to me in San Francisco last Friday was hoping you did it. You did exactly what you said you were going to (laughs) do. And and I'd like to take credit for thinking about the idea, but that's good. It it was more of, you know, I've been approached by firms annually, quarterly. I'm sure.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. And I'm guessing, so you weren't shopping it. You weren't like on a roadshow trying to sell that. I'm guessing somebody at Clark Hill called you.
1: Well, no. So at the, by the, by the end of 2020, Hmm. I had i first offered the firm to all of my lawyers uh oh, you know, oh really my top oh. tier to see if okay. they wanted to take hoven law group over and okay. the resounding response was we like being lawyers and we like working here but we don't want to own a law firm um <laughs> so um and, and, it, and it is it's a challenging business for a variety of reasons but the the, the, the owning a law firm but hmm. my point is uh so i did start the shop at once they turned I it down Okay. Uh, I talked to about three or four large consulting firms. I talked to almost fifty law firms, believe it or not. Really? Uh, and I narrowed that down to five between September of 2020 and um, uh, about March or April of this year, when I narrowed it down. And you know, there was a there was a good mix of big firms, small firms, medium firms. I think people that I just really really liked. Uh, one of the things about Clark Hill that was very cool. In addition to some of the things you said was their new CEO as of January, he's been with the firm for 20 years, uh, plus or minus, but, you know, um, a young guy by our standards in his 50s, okay. very energetic, Th- this firm has an ambitious growth plan, and it was great to hear from the top, I love what you've done, I, I, I mm-hmm. share your vision about what you can mm-hmm. do with cannabis, and mm-hmm. we want to build an office in the Denver market, he said we have Denver Envy, so we, we, we sort of aligned uh, we met each other. They were just really good folks, down-to-earth guys yeah. that you could sit down and have a beer with and just yeah. talk about the future. And, and they committed to things, and, and they never deviated from what they said. Other firms, which would have been great to work at, sometimes they, you know, you'd know you end up, well, you're just a cog in a wheel. Go to the corporate division and sit in the corporate practice unit and build your practice there. But these guys were like, no, no. no. We want to be like the top three or four in the country if we can. Let's okay. go do it, and here's the commitment to that. So, so that meant a lot. They were really good people, and now I've got access to well, not just high-quality lawyers in different areas, right. you need right, that. Right. but someone who's done like a particular nuanced thing many, many, many times. Mm-hmm. That's the, the benefit of having a deep bench like this. Mm.
0: Did they already have a cannabis division when
1: you joined or no? They did. In fact, that was another great component, and they've got, you know, i, I for better or for worse, I get patted on the back for, for building this thing a lot, but they had a really strong foundation. And there's oh. lawyers that, that run circles around me in, in terms of the day-to-day practice of the law, Michigan practice, Nevada practice, cannabis lawyers that are just, that are really, really good. Some of their California folks. Uh, okay. So we took that, we brought some of our folks on. Uh, so right now as a cannabis industry group, in a 700-person mm-hmm. law firm, which I never thought I'd hear myself say, we've got about 100 folks that that regularly participate with our group uh, from all different practice areas by design. And then we've got about 58 folks that are regularly engaged, meaning you know the, the, the majority of their week is spent on cannabis matters. So okay. that's, uh, okay. that's pretty good. And uh, as I've said to other people, the phone keeps ringing. People know where to find me. So that's good. Uh, that's good. That <laughs>
0: Now, what about this? Because I, I, you know, finally, like last year, we got two or three calls at Ryder Flex from other recruiting firms sniffing around, you know, hey, what are you guys doing? Hey, are you for sale someday? Blah, blah, blah. So finally, you know, got enough attention to get a few of those calls this last year. Um, those didn't develop, but I did have those thoughts where like, okay, well, I kind of like being captain. I don't know if I want to like ask somebody if I can go on vacation. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know if I want to, if I want to leave early on Friday and go to the mountains in my Jeep, I don't want to have to ask anybody. So I don't know if I really want to boss. My point is how, how's, how's that? You haven't had a quote boss in a long time. How is it weird?
1: How are you adjusting? <laughs> well, Well, I mean, look, first of all, um, I, I'm still in charge of the Denver office, so not a lot has changed in a day-to-day perspective.
0: Uh, okay.
1: The thing that's changed is when well, we need to make additions. I don't have to look at the dollars in the Hoven Law Group bank account and say, "Okay, well, I can only take this much out this month because I need to earmark this for there." The dollars yeah. are coming from an established, you know, source. That 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 I and 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 the other thing about you know being a lawyer is partners, as I am, and there's. Various degrees of being a partner. You own the firm. You don't. You don't get to be a partner in a firm unless your colleagues and the leaders see you as you mm. care you, You're you're worthy <laughs> of being an owner because That's you're a good true. lawyer. You have a good reputation, and you're ambitious to build things. And mm. and so mm. I can't tell you that you know there's people I talk to, but they're all supportive. I I'm not running to people and saying hey, can I do this or hey, can I do that. <laughs> We've just continued to do. things that we've always done. um, And the people are very supportive of it, us, and and it's pretty transparent. So uh, it's a good point. It's an excellent point, in fact, uh, because that is one, you know, many people's fear. But I I think that especially if whether you're merging, combining, selling, whatever it is, if if you're doing people, you're not just getting hired to go do a job where you got to prove yourself. There's a mutual understanding that What you guys do benefits us and what we do benefits you. And we both want to continue doing the same thing, but do it together. Um, It's almost like, like I said, people don't believe it, but it's almost like nothing's changed. Uh, Yes, there are people I need to ask things for or run through, or I've got to make a a case to hire an associate. um, But it's probably an analysis you should go through anyway, even if you were making a decision on your own.
0: That's a good point. Should the listeners that, that are listening to this episode and that know you or have heard of you. Do they still call you for the same things? Do they still call the Denver office? Do they still call Bob Hoban for all the same things that they, that they used to, or has certain, uh, practices, you know, stopped? certain specialties stopped, or it's all still the same thing. They can call you for no, whatever. Yeah,
1: it's, it's, it's all the same thing with the added benefit of now, um, being in an AmLaw law firm, um, that's rated, you know, perceived to to be in the top 100 or or close enough uh, to to say that and quote that, you you just, you're in a different caliber of client on a daily basis. So the same things from before, those people continue to call, we haven't missed a beat. But then add to that the ability to say, oh, well, this company wants us to take them public. And then this company wants to hire us to do all of the regulatory IP litigation, everything in 12 different states that's the kind of thing that that comes around now so um so it's it's the same and so the way i configure it is and i try to stay involved with the clients that come in through me at least in some form or fashion and then now i've got this roster of people that i need to coach on the point guard i need to get the ball on the less sophisticated matters to the people that are in this range that that know this and can do this but if it's going to be a Nasdaq public offering, I've got to bring that way up to this 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 high level, um, and and that's that's very fun. It's 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 like the Hoven Law Group, but it's on another platform, um, and you know the the lawyers are excited to be cannabis lawyers, or at least in part cannabis lawyers, because being a lawyer is not an easy gig, and when it's just day to day to day. Some, anything that makes it interesting is attractive to lawyers. And, and I think this industry does that.
0: Sounds like you're having fun so far and you like it. I mean, I can feel it on you, right? I can feel so the vibe on you. The, yeah, yeah, I can feel that. I want to I want to ask you some questions here before we run out of time about cannabis, little 30,000 feet stuff, if you don't mind. And by the way, for the listeners, ClarkHill.com, And if you go there and you just click on people, you can see. Robert T. Hoban, and you can see the phone number and his email and all of that if anybody's interested in getting a hold of Bob, or you can connect with him uh, on LinkedIn, of course, Uh, and it's under Robert Hoban, just uh, for for everybody's knowledge. I want to ask you some questions, Bob, uh, 30,000 feet. I'm sure you get these. You've probably answered all these a million times, (laughs) but for our listeners, if you don't mind, federally with cannabis, I mean, how far are we, man? How far away are we? And, and I want to tie that into, you know, here's why I'm asking. And I want to tie it into this. I had to go down to Oklahoma, which is where I grew up for a funeral recently. And I drive down, take my, take my Jeep down and drive down. I uh, get into town there, stop at a, a truck stop or something for, for, for gas or whatever. I'm digging around on my console and I, and I have a little cannabis in there because I'm a casual cannabis user, you know? from time to time and uh usually usually when i go to the mountains and go camping but i had it in my jeep just in there and i see it and i kind of have this moment where i'm like oh shit i got this <laughs> i got this cannabis with me and i'm in oklahoma like you kind of like i had this kind of like oh, oh what are the rules here i can't i don't even know <laughs> so i kind of had that moment um how long are we gonna to have to live like that like like when
1: when is it just gonna go federal bob that's my question but, well but steve steve first of all who to have thunk it so to speak but oklahoma is one of the most liberal places with cannabis laws <laughs> in the entire country right I do- now <laughs> there are that's more crazy. dispensaries in oklahoma per capita and per jurisdiction than anywhere else in the country. It is really? one of the easiest places in the country to get a license and to create a business. So go figure <laughs> that a place like Oklahoma with you know at least my <laughs> perception on the outside of it being conservative politics and everything else, it oh, is yeah. a hotbed of cannabis activity through How about and through. That?
0: So, How about that? That is um, wild. Uh, uh but but yeah, it is,
1: a, it is an exercise we all have to go through. What's in your <laughs> bag? What you know, what's in your wallet? Uh don't go over this state line or that state line. Um, I know. you know, look, the the that there's 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 a legal perspective of that too. Even if you're traveling with something, the federal government's really not going to get involved. They're gonna refer okay. it to local law enforcement unless it's over a certain amount that as a federal concern, right? So even if you're caught somewhere. I'm not advising people to travel in states where it's not, but they're going to turn it over to local law enforcement and in most states. And there's some big exceptions. You know, it's it's a relatively minor offense and and or they just make you throw it out. Um, Okay. But federal law, you know, look, it's a hot button potato. We have a president right now uh, who doesn't like cannabis at all. Um, despite that he's a, a Democrat. And you know this is why cannabis is also interesting to me. I, I'm more of a libertarian personally in my political philosophy. I mm-hmm. don't identify with either side. I think there's bad things about them both. And I notice I didn't say good things about them both. There's bad <laughs> things about them both um, in, my, in my perspective. I, I, I just think that the Democrats are terrible leaders on this issue and they've been terrible leaders on this issue for years. And now they're finally beginning to recognize that they can cure some prior social ills that were around the cannabis plant and create a, a regulatory framework that, that generates jobs and dollars. Um, and then, but the Republicans, you know, Cory Gardner, one of our former senators from Colorado, he put out a great bill, which is Republican led measure years ago, It didn't go anywhere. But I think it was representative of the Republican philosophy about cannabis. It's about personal freedom. It's about states' rights. It's mm. about jobs and criminal justice reform. Let's not waste money on something that's that's not causing terrible uh, effects on society. Uh, right. So, you know, who takes it and runs with it? That's the biggest question. And, right? and it's a no-brainer. I, I
0: totally agree. If you had the power right now, to release everybody in prison for a cannabis offense that's sitting in a jail cell for some bullshit cannabis offense, would you?
1: I believe I would, but there's always more to the story, because cannabis offenses on their own should not be criminally prosecuted. Um, Personal use, personal consumption, personal possession, and people have gone to jail for that for a very long time, particularly when... You factor in some of these three strikes in your out type scenarios. It right. has decimated societies, particularly low-income societies and minorities uh, uh, communities because of that. And and by the way, if you get arrested for something like that, you also can't get student loans. So it's sort of you know it, it cascades, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. at the same time, and you know part of me having a little bit of a background with federal law enforcement and some people in my family, I I look at the the idea that if you wanted to go after people that were making heroin fentanyl meth whatever the drug of the day is that's being trafficked they always were selling marijuana as well Mm -hmm. so you know so 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 finding somebody with 10 pounds of Mm -hmm. marijuana wasn't just some simple hippie growing in his basement probably nine times out of ten it was probably someone who was attached to something else where human beings are being trafficked and there's you know violence associated with it and they're selling other things that ruin people's lives like cocaine or heroin or whatever the case might be so mm. there's merit to that as well so that's why i equivocate a little mm. bit on the mm. personal consumption and possession side no you shouldn't go to jail but if you have 10 10 you know kilos of, of marijuana and you were involved in other larger drug operations then there's probably a reason that you know you're behind bars to begin with uh, mm. so You know, that's that's the way I look at.
0: Mm, That's a pretty strong perspective. I hadn't never thought of it that way. I appreciate you sharing that with me based on what you did say. Then I'm guessing you would be you're against the legalization of, quote, all drugs. You would you would vote against that.
1: Well, I don't know. I, I also think from a we've seen experiments in a place like Portugal where they did legalize all drugs. And okay. the demand for drugs, and this was years ago. So that so the, the, the focus of policing drugs from a law enforcement perspective shifted to a public health perspective. And the numbers of heroin users and addictive substance users went down. Really? People were helping them get off drugs. Really? So it, wow. it became less of a, a, a scourge on society when they legalized it outright. Now, would that wow. happen in the United States with our personality as Americans? I don't know. But- if that truly could occur, and from a public policy standpoint in America, then I'd be supportive of those experiments. We've seen it happening; something like that happening in Oregon. You know, we'll see how that goes. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, um, I've seen one of my very good friends from high school uh, died away. He, he died uh, when I was in in in, in law school. Uh, he was, uh, you know, he graduated college. He played football. We were roommates for a couple of years. Uh, he always liked speed like cocaine and that was never ever something i was interested in i'd go out and hang out with the boys but that was not my thing Mm -hmm. and one time he got uh uh, thought what he thought was cocaine leaving a bar at 2 30 a.m a bunch of our friends were there and it was something else uh probably heroin or something and and he did it the same way and he he died Uh, i've seen people that get addicted to it uh and you know they lose everything and parents uh, you've seen these like so addiction like that scares me but should those people be arrested or should they be given other support well the idea for the latter really worked in a place like portugal and some other places and the studies would seem to support it i just don't know if our little american brains could handle that
0: (laughs) you know generally it's, it's weird. I, I lean, con- man, I, I feel like I lean conservative on, on financial stuff and taxes. And I lean liberal on social issues. I'm somewhere, I'm kind of like you, maybe I'm somewhere in the middle. I don't know. I don't know what the hell I am, but, uh, but I do know that like generally I don't give a shit what my neighbor is doing uh, with, with drugs, right? Like if he wants to strap his arm up in his, in his restroom and shoot heroin up his arm. Like I don't give a shit as long as it doesn't affect me like generally. Right. But when it affects minors or when you put children children at risk or, or, or things like that, I I'm that that's a problem. So uh, great answer. Appreciate you answering that. Okay. I got a couple more. I know we're almost out of time. couple more. <laughs> you are a contributing writer to Forbes magazine, right? Many yep. times. How come you haven't written a book? Where's
1: the book at? Where's the Bob Holman book? There's a a book. All right. Uh, The book, actually, there is a book. I I wrote it. um, And uh, that book goes through about 2012, early 2013. So then um, we're fleshing out other parts of it. So, you know, at at the end of the day, uh, there's the push to get something like that published. Uh, believe it or not, I do have a literary agent. We've shopped that book. Uh, okay. We've shopped the outline for picking up from that story. Um, okay. You know The the literary community, and, and it changes every month, but their perspective has been, we bet on this, but we think it's going to take a couple, three years for people to really see this more as the story. And then it becomes, what is what does the consumer want to read? They want to read the story from my perspective, which becomes more about me and what i saw or do they want to read the story about how cannabis was legalized and have a bunch of characters in it so it really is how do you write the book how do you Mm. position the book so there's a lot of things like that that go on uh to date we've gotten some offers on books i'm not just going to go self-publish it and i'm not going to just have the first uh, publishing house that comes along publish these books um and and we've gotten offers like that but it's it's very to me if i want to do it i just i would like to do it right okay just because why why do it if it's not going to be done you know at at a high level is is the way i figure you know i'd love to see a book like that not because of me to pat myself on the back but i'd love to have middle america read this story because it's a story that you've been a part of you've lived and breathed Mm -hmm. it you've seen it and so many of us it's a story that a lot i think a lot of americans don't know that really exist and how we work to not just legalize cannabis but to professionalize it, to make it an industry, that's a good corporate citizen and making people proud that we built something. That's what I think we were a part of, um, mm-hmm, you know, For sure, and, and that's yep. that's what I think would be cool about it. And and unless I can get there where we get that kind of audience, then then I don't know. And, we're, and from the literary agents' perspective, and they're a good one in New York, they, they they don't they don't they don't see the demand for this type of story yet. So we'll see, we'll see. And that's um, that's inter- That's interesting. Uh, I would,
0: here's my personal opinion on it. Um, I, I definitely would encourage you to put in the cool character stories, right? Like I, I wouldn't, like I wouldn't want to pick it up and just read about the business aspect of it and the legal aspect of it. Right. I want to hear about, Hey, the time that I met had to meet Johnny in a dark alley yeah, yeah. and Johnny and you know, like that yeah. stuff's gotta, that stuff's gotta be in there. That's gotta yep. be in there, man. <laughs> no, I,
1: I I'm with you a hundred percent. And you know, that's, that's uh, uh, one of the things, because the, the, the shell of the story can go any direction. You know, it would require yeah. character development and some other things. But, you know, that's the cue that we've been waiting for. I also, Steve, I haven't been focused on it in years. Because when I started writing the book years ago, the idea was, let's write a book, as so many people do, to get your name out there. And then yeah. just, you know, yeah. I'm pl- very pleased to say, because of hard work, my name, yeah, the name speaks s- for itself now. Yeah, your name's already stuff. there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I I, you're not
0: yeah. You're not one of those guys that has to launch a book for a business card.
1: You you that's already you're way past that. <laughs> so so, so, so that, that's why I say I'm sitting in the catbird seat. So if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right.
0: Yeah, that's very good. Last question, sir. Last question. If you at this point in your life, 46 years old, right? Awesome, successful career, great family. I mean, you've I mean, you've been a, 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 the international major leader in cannabis. I mean, you could stop right now and retire and, be, and kind of say to yourself, hey, I did pretty good, right? Like you could if you wanted to. So great career. At this stage, if you had to define your go forward core purpose in life from this point forward, what
1: is Bob's core purpose the rest of the way? Um, I I. I this is not the end of the story, but Jerry Garcia once said, in this life, I choose fun and I choose fun and everything I do is fun. I, every single thing I do is fun. And that's, you know, that's why I'm working hard during the daytime and getting on a motorcycle and, and, you know, driving 60 miles an hour on trails on Saturday. So so I choose that. I do. and And, you know, when work isn't fun anymore, then I won't work as hard. I don't think I'll ever not work because I'm connected to too many people that rely on me for things. And I, I can enjoy some semblance of being really busy down to being just a little bit busy, but that's when I'll I'll stop working. But also the real answer is, uh, my son's still in high school. He's a junior. So when he's graduated high school next year and and he's a basketball player, so it's fun to watch and see his development and be around for that. When he's out of high school, then he's an adult and I wouldn't say my job is done, especially with a boy, because my, my daughter's the older <laughs> one. That's another story. She's she's got it all together. The boy needs a little bit of work, um, as as I did, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, you know, once once that's pointed in a, in a positive direction, um, uh, I think that it'll change my mindset on uh, on how I want to use every minute of my day. So until then, it's uh, it's work hard, play hard and uh, try to do it with as many fun and cool people as you can.
0: Bob, thank you so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast and sharing your story. I really appreciate it.
1: Uh, It's my pleasure, Steve. Anytime, and uh, you and I need to grab a beer one of these days soon.
0: Absolutely, soon.